Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. The baby food aisle is undergoing a renaissance with new packaging, processing, and flavor combinations aimed at presenting better-for-you options that promise to help children grow up healthy. And yet, childhood obesity remains a huge problem in the U.S. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the percentage of children in the U.S. who are obese has tripled from the 1970s, so that today about one in five school children are obese. Sure, there's many factors that contribute to childhood obesity, including genetics, metabolism, environmental factors, and social and individual psychology, as well as physical activity. But dietary patterns also play a huge part. And while caregivers are ultimately responsible for what infants and toddlers eat, packaged food manufacturers significantly influence what they're served and how their food preferences develop over time. To better understand what young children need nutritionally, how baby food manufacturers and parents are meeting these needs, and where they're falling short, I chatted with Robert Murray, who is a professor of pediatrics and of human nutrition at The Ohio State University. He outlined several areas of innovation in the complementary feeding or baby food category, as well as a few sticking points that still need development but hold marketing potential. We're kind of going through a transition in the U.S. Um, The old way of thinking about complementary foods was to introduce foods sequentially, one at a time every few days, so that we could monitor whether the child was showing any kinds of intolerance or allergy. Uh, All the proteins that made up allergy, the major allergens, were delayed until late in the, in the first year, between nine months and 12 months. Um, and so the child was, you know, because the worry was that the child would develop allergic signs and symptoms. The recent thinking, though, has completely changed. The allergists have realized, based on a couple of studies, that delaying protein is probably the wrong thing to do. And they realized from studies on on peanuts, that if they introduce those nuts earlier, between four and six months, they begin the exposure uh, and continue to expose, that the risk of allergy is actually less, it's actually cut in half compared to those kids who have a delay in the exposure of protein. So the old way of thinking that we need to do this one food at a time and that we have to withhold the uh, highly allergenic proteins has been overthrown. And now the question is, what are we trying to accomplish um, based on what we know? And, and I think there, there are five things that we <clears throat> are thinking we need to do now in complementary feeding. One of them is to augment energy and nutrients. So if you think about this as a, as a mom, if you were coming into motherhood here, you have breast milk or infant formula that really is holding up the child's nutrition and giving them the things that they need. So all we're trying to do between 6 and 12 months is start by providing a small amount of additional energy per day, about 20% of the calories they're getting now are added on, and then to give them them high-quality nutrients 
particularly iron and zinc uh, foods right away. Um, and it's, you're right by talking about um, a portion size. We're not talking about a lot of food here. We're talking about taste and exposure and small uh, one teaspoon, two teaspoon size exposures that they can get from different foods. So that's the first thing is to augment energy and nutrients. The second is to introduce all the different flavors and tastes and textures that are available in the, you know, in, to the baby, starting with very thin textures and letting the texture get thicker and thicker over the next six months. Um, the third thing is to ensure acceptance, and this is probably the biggest change that we've had from <clears throat> the previous way of thinking about complementary feeding. Ensure acceptance means that the parents present a food like, say, peas or uh, spinach and reintroduce it and reintroduce it and reintroduce it over and over again as a means to get the child used to the smell, taste, texture uh, of all different types of foods. Meats, grains, fruits, vegetables, cheeses, everything, yogurts, everything exposed over that period of time. And then finally at the end, what you're looking for is at the end of two years, that that child has been exposed to many different foods, has great acceptance of foods, and then they're beginning to build a really high-quality dietary pattern, which is the, the sum of all the different foods that they're being offered is very um, strong nutritionally. That's really the goal that we have. So <clears throat> as a parent, it really, it really becomes fairly simple. You want to expose them as broadly as possible to every type of uh, taste, flavor, texture, smell that you can related to food. While these goals may be simple, their execution often is not, meaning many children are not getting what they need nutritionally, even if they're eating more than enough calories. Murray explains that part of this is due to parents accidentally transferring their bad eating habits to their children by either not giving them vegetables or sharing snacks and desserts with their children or they don't understand how much food children actually need, and they err on the side of overfeeding. Another reason children in the U.S. develop bad eating habits is because many parents here rely heavily on packaged baby food, which may be improving, but often still does not check all the ingredients in terms of variety. And let me just say, overall, we do a pretty good job, particularly in the first year of, of um, feeding breast milk and infant formula, not giving cow's milk, and keeping the foods um, aimed in that second six months of life as opposed to other times. But we still see about 40% of kids are given something before the age of four months, and, uh, and that's a problem. Uh, most of the time, that consists of either infant cereals, fruits or fruit juices, or snacks and desserts, which we commonly uh, give to children if we're eating them. So a parent will break off a piece and give it to the baby. Before four months, that is a bad idea. It sets the kid up for um, rejecting foods later, and they tend to become more picky eaters when they're exposed early. And it also <clears throat> appears to be associated with the higher risk of obesity when you're fed early in life. So it's best to hold that in mind. No complimentary food at all 
no other food other than breast milk and formula in at least the first four months, if not the first six months. So that's the first thing is not to feed in the first six months or at least until you're ready to start complementary food. When we do complementary food, we um, make some pretty good choices generally uh, in getting different food groups represented, but the choices within those food groups are not always ideal. Um, there's been a new policy statement from the academy that they would like in six to 12 months that the parents give fruit servings over and over again during the day and not depend so much on 100% fruit juice, which comprises about 50% of the fruits that the children take at this age. Um, the second thing that we notice when we look at the kids in the, in the second six months is that they, <clears throat> about three quarters of them take a vegetable, but it's um, plate potato that makes up the bulk of the vegetables that the kids are being offered. Green vegetables like peas, broccoli, uh, and the like are only offered to about 6% of children on any given day in the second six months of life. So <clears throat> really fall flat. And then the other thing I mentioned to you um, is the need for iron and zinc is extremely high. This has to be the highest priority set of foods that we offer. Traditionally, this comes from infant cereal, uh, which are fortified with iron and zinc, um, as well as from beef. Uh, but when you look at kids in the complementary feeding period, only about 10% of them get beef on any given day, whereas uh, nearly as many are getting hot dogs, deli meats, which tend to be high in sodium, high in fat, and low in iron. And then uh, about 30% get chicken or turkey. That's really taken over from beef and complementary feeding when you look back over the last couple of, of um, decades. Uh, eggs are only offered about uh, to about 10% as well, and that's a very high-quality food, high in choline, high in omega-3, excellent protein source, low-calorie, easy for children to uh, eat because of the mushiness, and so it's a, it's a great food. Um, yogurt's another one um, that uh, is only offered to uh, less than 20% of kids on any given day. So we don't take good advantage of the, uh, uh, of the choices that we make. And then uh, we also get about half the kids in the country are getting uh, snack foods and desserts on any given day between six months and 12 months, and, and there's just really no need for that at all. To Murray's point about many babies needing but not consuming enough beef, there is a new player in the baby food category that's addressing this head-on. Serenity Kids launched a first-of-its-kind baby food inspired by the paleo diet that, according to its founders, has the highest meat content of any pouched baby food. Of its three initial flavors, one was 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef with organic sweet potato and organic kale which also crosses off Murray's point about how many baby foods don't have enough dark green veggies. Other players are addressing Murray's concerns about companies and parents relying too heavily on fruits to mask the taste of vegetables. For example, HPP baby food maker Fresh Bellies cooks vegetables to release their flavor rather than blending and hiding them in fruit. Its lineup includes Got the Beat, Cauliflower Dreamin', and Broccoli Ever After. While manufacturers are starting to address the nutritional shortcomings of the category, the way that the products are packaged also could contribute to childhood obesity, 
by blocking them from fully understanding what they're eating. Murray explains that children should experience food not just through taste, but also through touch and smell, which are hindered by modern pouches and spoon feeding. Parents have to live in a world of uh, taste, value, and convenience, and so um, these little ones will accept foods quite well on the taste side if they're repeatedly offered, but convenience can sometimes be a problem, so parents are always looking for convenience, which is why pouches have taken off so well. You know, it's interesting, but I'm told that the pouches were originally designed as a convenient shape uh, and that they were intended to be squeezed out into a bowl or uh, onto a spoon and fed to the baby, but um, being Americans, we took the cup off and then the the baby just puts it in their mouth and squeezes it, you know, and gets it that way. So uh, there have been people concerned about uh, infant feeding skills, which is part of this complementary feeding. Um, I like the idea of giving the baby large pieces that they that they can't like choke on. Can't they're so big they can't choke on them. Uh, pieces of apple or a banana or a mango, and allow them to play with their food because. By doing that, they really mush it and get it on their face and and their fingers and they smell it and they taste it and they get exposed to it without the parent having to put it on a spoon and give it to them. Uh, So I think that's something, you're right, we don't do that in the U.S. and I think that's something that uh, the the, uh, advocates of baby-led weaning have to offer us really is uh, not to be afraid of giving the child things that they can expose themselves to uh, and not just worry about giving it to them by a spoon. Plum Organics recently launched baby food bowls, which could offer a solution to this problem. Yes, the bowls come with built-in spoons and are designed to be held in the palm of caregiver's hand, but because they're plastic, they could also be given to children so that they can use their hands to scoop out the food and as such experience the feel and smell as well as the taste of the product. Murray says that he also has seen a lot of innovation around different types of finger foods made specifically for toddlers who are developing their hand-eye coordination and pinching skills. He also lauded manufacturers for actively improving the quality of the ingredients in their products so that there's a wider variety of children gaining the nutrients they need without excess calories. Looking forward, he believes these trends will continue to as the trajectory forward towards a more natural and healthy options. Where this, where this area is going is toward more uh, natural type foods, um, much more healthy foods. I think parents are looking for foods with fewer ingredients. They want uh, this to be uh, very good quality. They don't want to worry about the food in terms of chemicals and other things in there. And I, I think manufacturers have done a great job of moving in that direction and responding to that. Um, so I see that already in the uh, in the, the toddler product space uh, that <clears throat> manufacturers are really looking to try and make that happen. However, Murray still sees room for innovation on the veggie front while still offering taste and convenience. They are really working hard on ways of getting more vegetables, particularly green vegetables, into the toddler diet. Uh, the challenge there is that the adults don't eat them either. As a result, it's really tough to get them 
into the <clears throat> the toddler's diet in an easy way, particularly in the second year when they're eating more table foods and less baby foods, really tough to get the types of product that can make it easy for mothers uh, and fathers to get a big array of fruits, vegetables, meats, grains, and dairy. Uh, and I think that's where you're going to see the space going in the future here with making it uh, convenient, tasteful, and very helpful. Ultimately, a lot of progress is being made in the baby food aisle, but there's still plenty of room for innovation and new product development. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you enjoyed this installment, which is the last one of 2017. But we'll be back again next year with new episodes. Until then, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week and happy holidays.